Hello, this is Richard Outram, and welcome to the Prepare for Growth podcast series, bite-sized wisdom for leadership and personal development. So thank you for taking time out to join me. I'm so grateful for this unique opportunity. Okay, and in this week's podcast, I'm happy to introduce Roberta Hughes, owner, wellness consultant, leadership facilitator, content creator, and speaker at Peaceful Living. Roberta's curated a library of over 100 videos on gentle yoga, yin yoga, guided meditations, and Pilates, and a platform for community engagement. Prior to Peaceful Living, Roberta was executive director and founder of the Healthy Me Project, a 501c3 organization focused on weekly fitness and nutrition, mentoring to physically and developmentally disabled client athletes in year-round wellness programs. Roberta holds a BA in journalism from Arizona State University, Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. She is also a certified Pilates teacher and registered yoga teacher. And Roberta's wisdom bite for this episode is nurturing self-care in leadership. Roberta, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. It's uh, it's going to be a wonderful session. I know you've got a lovely way about you. We've exchanged emails, but I'm um, Actually, now with you on video, I can just sense just a lovely aura about you. Richard, thank you so much. It's a joy to be here. And your smile lights up the screen. So <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Oh, thank you, Roberta. And did you want to add anything else in introduction, Roberta? I don't think I have anything to add more that I'm a mother of two boys that are grown and being a mom has really guided me through my leadership role of life, if you will, because parenting is the most humbling journey that a person can be on. And if you choose to use that as an opportunity for self-growth and development, you can become a good leader and role model for your children. And now I get to do that to help leaders in their roles in workplaces do the same. Absolutely, Roberta. And motherhood is the most important CEO role in the world. Yes. I believe that. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> okay. So the first segment, what have you learned? We're going to talk and we're going to kind of focus on self-care, managing stress, and particularly opening up the conversation around stress, anxiety, and mental health. This is, I think it's October 10th is International Mental Health Day. So this is a an aligned an important conversation, obviously, globally. And so let's kick it off, Roberta. Why is managing stress important for leaders? Managing stress is so important for leaders because the more they can manage their own stress levels, the more that's going to resonate within their whole structure within the organization. I truly believe that what we impact one person with spreads very quickly. So each person that we come in communication with, when our stress levels are low, when we're feeling whole, when we're feeling connected to ourselves, we can affect people in a very positive way. On the other hand, if we bring all of the things that are going wrong and all of our stress into somebody else's space, that too is going to grow very quickly. Absolutely, Roberta. Okay. And what are the major causes of stress at work, would you say? 
There are so many. I think the most common would be just work hours and expectations of workload, especially since COVID. We really don't have clear boundaries between work and home life anymore. And also just communication, having healthy communication within a work environment where people feel cared for and able to share their thoughts and ideas in a safe environment. Um, having work friends and work relationships that are healthy and strong so that you feel supported because we spend more time at work sometimes than we do at home. And being able to manage your time and feel like you can have harmony. I tend not to say balance, but harmony between your work and your personal well-being. Absolutely. And you raise an excellent point, Roberta, about just that blurry line between work and uh, and other part aspects of your life, family life, um, has gotten even more blurrier. And um, I can tell you, during the, the time of COVID, um, the fatigue levels, and, and I saw it, I mean, I experienced it myself, and I saw it with my team, because there was always that next email to be done, and always that next conversation. And um, whilst we thought working remote was fabulous, and I enjoy it, by the way, I think I've moderated behaviors, and I think people have kind of gotten used to that balance. But um, over that two-year period, Roberta, I can tell you, fatigue levels were so high, because you just didn't know when to, to switch off. It was literally 14-hour days in front of a video screen, you know? Yes. And it was a blessing and a curse in some ways. The blessing was that we got to be in our homes, I yeah. apologize, and stay close to home. Yeah. On the other hand, when we started working from home, there was no start to your day and end to your day. Everything was blending together. And some people weren't just working from home. They were also homeschooling or hybrid schooling because the teacher was still in charge, but the parent needed to understand all of the conditions and parameters. So it, it was a struggle for many people to try to wear all of the hats and do all of the things well. And, and now, how, oh, I was just going to say, now that we're back to normal, still so many people are working from home or they bring their work home because they, it's so easy to do. We have all of the technology now to work from home as well as work in the office. So now it's just work is around us all of the time. How, and you touched on exactly the point where I was going, how do you think external factors and technology has contributed to rising stress levels and mental health issues? I think it's a big contribution, but I also think we have the ability to set our own boundaries if we're aware that boundaries need to be in place. And the way technology impacts our brain, it stimulates the brain all of the time. So when you're in front of a Zoom call, when you're in front of your computer, then you're on your cell phone, that's continuous stimulation for the brain. Our brain also needs to have a rest period so that it can calm down, relax, restore, and refocus. In order to do that, it requires that we step away from the technology, we step away from the screen because that constant motion that we get, that constant stimulation that we get, we have to move away from it in order to get something different. We need to get into nature. We need to sit down with a book. We need to do something with our hands to balance it out. 
we are going to really delve into the self-care aspect and, and some of those tactics. So how can you lead better under stress? Stress can sometimes be a good thing because usually we get stressed because we care about the outcome of something. We want things to go well. We are invested in how they will, how they will turn out. And that causes some stress, some anticipation. And I like people to explore the difference and similarities between anxiety and anticipation because both feel so similar, the response that they have in our body. Our hearts beat faster, we get more excited, our blood flows faster, our heart rate goes up. All of these things happen, but are we stressed, meaning anxious and worried and not certain about the outcome, or are we anticipating and excited about what might be on the horizon. So you can navigate those feelings of stress into creating positive outcomes. Absolutely. And, and so understanding your rhythms and your body, and we're going to get into this, I'm sure, when we talk about, uh, you know, techniques around yoga and meditation and so forth, but truly understanding what becomes a dangerous level of stress is very important, Roberta. All right. And um, it's simple things. And, and I, I, I know you talk about it um, a lot and we're going to get into it. Um, even your breathing techniques and, and understanding during the course of the day when perhaps you're hyperventilating, you're not even aware of it. Um, and, uh, you know, your levels of focus may wane, et cetera. But understand what's going on in your body and taking the time to kind of, you know, do that bit of a deep dive is very important. Tell us more about how important in the course of the day is it just to take a minute or two out and really kind of just understand what's going on in your body? I think it's highly important. I call it planting little seeds of peace throughout your day because we are stimulated so much. We are on the go so much. We have to be intentional about pausing, taking a breath, refocusing, and then going to the next thing. One thing I encourage people to do is to put some white space in their calendar, especially the person who has booking to booking to booking appointment after appointment each day. Can you carve 10 minutes of space between those appointments where they maybe don't all have to start on the hour? And can you just walk around your office, walk around your home, take a couple of deep breaths so that you can be complete with what you've just finished and then really bring yourself into the next thing that's coming up. Absolutely. And I guess as, as I've aged over, over time and got more mature, I guess is the word. <laughs> um, wiser, wiser. Wiser, there you go. That's a much better, that's a much better way to put it. Um, you know your limitations. And maybe leading better under stress is understanding those limitations and accepting those. And I don't even see them as limitations. I see them as being a human being. What does yeah. your body need to feel supported, to feel strong, to feel like it can get through a day without a lot of pain and discomfort? There are so many things that we can do within our power to achieve that. And resting is probably the number one thing that we can do. Our bodies need rest and we deserve yeah. to rest. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And and so, Roberta, how do you keep cool under high stress situations? <laughs> Me personally, or how would I encourage someone else to keep their cool? 
Let, let's let's go with both of those. Okay. So me personally, when my stress levels get high, I use this technique. It's called the birthday candle breath. Yes. <laughs> and you take a deep inhale and you purse your lips like you're blowing out birthday candles and just completely empty all of the breath that's in your body. And then it makes you take another just natural inhale. And sometimes I'll do that three, four times. Sometimes I'll shake out my hands. Um, and sometimes I'll just get quiet and still and feel my feet on the floor and become more connected to my breath. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what advice would you give leaders about keeping cool under high stress situations? First, getting to know your triggers, what things are going to trigger your anxious response or your stress response, yeah. and then creating tools so that you can practice those tools when the risk is low. That's the secret. Because if you try to pull out a tool in the middle of a conflict or a disagreement or a heated situation or a high stress situation, it's not going to do the job. You need to have your little toolbox of things that you know work and then pull those out. And, and, and an example of two or three tools that, that you, would, you would offer to, to emerging leaders. Taking a slow, deep breath or the birthday candle breath. Yeah. I love that one. Um, visualizing yourself. So visualizing yourself and the outcome that you desire. And then how are you going to get there? And then to be aware of your communication and use communication that feels inviting rather than aggressive. Absolutely, Roberta. And, and it's kind of, I would say slightly another way, which would be fight or flight to higher states of openness, right? Yes. Where you are able to kind of engage more collaboration and creativity yes. or connection to your point. Yes. And um, over the years, I've really found it to be powerful. I'm not the expert in any of this. And I have my days uh, where, uh, you know, um, some of this doesn't work. But uh, I would say for the most part, what I've learned is when you really see a situation as it is, um, and you be patient unless I've always believed that unless, you know, someone's about to die where, you know, you've got to, you've got to react very, very differently. The answers usually come. And when you take that deep pause, Roberta, and you try to understand the points of view, the outcome usually is the right outcome. Mm -hmm. I think I, I find things play out and, 20 years ago, I probably would have reacted very, very differently when you really don't know all the information or, you, you know, your patience level were, were low. But I found that what you originally think is going to be the horror story or something about to happen, most of the time doesn't. Yeah, we make up all kinds of things in our brains, don't we? we and make, yes. sometimes that feeds our stress response and makes it bigger, where if we really just go in with, openness and faith that we want to have a positive outcome both parties usually want to have a positive outcome especially under conflict then there's the opportunity for that to occur but if each person goes in close-minded with their agenda with their stress levels high overreactive things are not going to go well at all you know roberta tactic i i've worked with um ceos and one of them was a comedian he was a stand-up comedian in his past life. And, um, 
you know, we shared a lot of kind of humor together in business and stuff like that. And I really learned a lot from him because his thing was, um, was you know, again, unless it's a dire, dire situation, when you infuse a bit of humor, it, it reduces everyone's blood pressure, right? And you get clarity of thought to a, a potential solution to any business issue, you know? And he employed that tactic um, all the time. Whenever he had anything, he was a really funny guy and, um, you know, probably sometimes went over the top. Um, but it worked. It really did. You would find, you know, the, the the executives around there, all of a sudden, everyone kind of blood pressure went down and people got creative in their solutions. Laughter can transform everyone's outlook and perspective and really alter um, things into a more positive light. So his talent is wonderful. Not everyone has that talent to tell yeah. a joke and to yeah. be a little controversial and to yes. still have it be funny. <laughs> so I would caution people <laughs> to, to think about their humor before they share it publicly. That's right. No, that's right. So from an employee standpoint, let's, let's take both sides. This. How do leaders stress out their employees? Uh, perhaps unintentional, but how do they do that? So, you know, our leaders who are listening kind of understand it may be completely unintentional and you may not even be self-aware enough to kind of understand your impact on employees, but how do they stress out employees? I think it definitely is unintentional because most managers and leaders are so focused on their part that they really forget to look at the whole perspective. So having expectations that may be unclear so they're not asking their employees if they understand, if there's clarity, um, to have things happen that um, don't have a lot of information. So to have an expectation, not a lot of direction, and then to expect the outcome to be perfect and only to give feedback when things are not going well. I think mm -hmm. leaders forget to give feedback that's positive reinforcement and I also think they forget to ask their employees, is everything clear? Do you have anything to contribute? Just slowing down and asking questions and even asking the employee, how are you today? And really listening for the answer. When a person feels cared for, when they feel like their leader knows them, that they know a little bit about their family, that they know a little bit about their life, they're more willing to show up and do the hard work. And then when they have clear expectations, they know how to act and how to move forward. And that creates trust and confidence. Absolutely. You know, what I learned over the year, particularly in executive positions, is, you know, your words really matter. A word or two can shift the tide completely in an organization. Yeah. And um, you have to be very, very mindful Um of your language right and leaders may not be aware of their negative language they may not be aware that they're using the negative tones or negative language tell us a little bit more about your experience about how leaders unintentionally and maybe innocently are using certain language that reverberates throughout an organization negatively yes um so i think leaders do an excellent job of being skilled in their craft and skilled in getting things complete and finished in a way that creates a wonderful outcome for the company. That's what leaders are doing. 
where they forget to dig a little deeper is in how to support their employees and inspire their employees to work towards that same outcome. So using very direct language, while a leader may think that that is supportive, it could seem to an employee like the leader doesn't care, that they're just telling them what to do, that they're dictating what needs to be done. Um, you can be clear in your communication, but then also ask for contribution. Now that I've explained this to you, what do you think? How do you feel? How will you move forward with this? And having more of an interactive conversation rather than a one-sided conversation with the employee. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a, a few other areas where leaders can stress out the employees, um, unusual or erratic actions. I've seen that many, many times. Um, emotional volatility, the unpredictability of who's going to show up today. Um, excessive pessimism just puts a cloud <laughs> on meetings and organizations. And I've been involved in, you know, executives and companies like that. And to your point, Roberta, ignoring people's emotions, you know? Yes. And I feel like all of those go so closely together. They're intimately yeah. connected because if you are emotionally connected to your employees, those other things aren't going to exist. They're not going to be a concern. Pessimism, I don't know that leaders are pessimistic as much as they are trying to point out the things that aren't happening to achieve the goal that's it in the future. And when you only look at what's not happening and you forget to acknowledge all of the things that are happening, people don't feel led. They feel like they're being defeated and put down and uninspired. So then they don't want to produce. They don't want to work. They don't want to show up. That is a, just a fabulous point, Roberta, because as, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the folks who rise at the very top of the profession usually see issues and they see issues in the organization and things to fix. But there has to be, because if you just continue to do that all the time and all you're doing is focus on things that aren't getting done and why folks aren't getting things done and the things that need to get fixed, you lose sight of the small wins and the things that are getting done. And so it absolutely has to be a healthy balance because otherwise you'll have just a demotivated Group of um, group of employees who feel as though it's never good enough. Yes, and I want to point out since we're on this topic, I feel like most of the leaders that I've worked with, that's how they treat themselves. They only look at the things that they haven't done well. They look at all of the things they need to do better, and they forget to acknowledge all of the things that are going right, all of the gratitude that's just right in front of their eyes. It's like they're blind to it because. They're always looking for the next thing because that's what they're created to do, to lead, to look into the future, to find that new thing, to find that exciting thing. But we also need to pause and have gratitude for the things that are going well. Things that are going well, the people around you who are helping you every single day. Um, and then an exercise, and I've shared this in previous podcasts I've had, Roberta, I always ask people to do when they're kind of feeling down about career path and where they're headed, et cetera. And I often say, you know, you may not be looking for your next career opportunity or you may be, but I encourage you to refresh your, your resume. And the exercise just breathes life into people. 
you know, 99% of the time, because then you look back and, and think to yourself, wow, I've forgotten I actually accomplished so much. Yes. And just being able to reflect and being able to say, you know, I did this and I worked and I collaborated with teams, et cetera, whatever the accomplishment may be. But we tend to forget the things that have stacked up and that we've accomplished over time. And as you say, it's a very healthy exercise periodically to go back and look back in all facets of your life, not just professionally. Um, and, uh, you know, bring out the positive and the, and the things you've done well. Yes. And I think this can even be a small daily practice at the end of the day or the beginning of the day to celebrate three things that you've done really well. And they can be as small as getting away from your desk and taking a short break to that big project that's been completed and you're really proud of it or an employee relationship that may have gone bad is now better and that communication is healthier. So looking for those golden nuggets. Actually, it's, it's critical. And, uh, you know, when I've been in businesses who have just come down and they're just, you, there's this negative cloak around the company and uh, you're trying to, you know, change a culture and transform a culture. Um, I've often had conversations with the executives that, you know, be mindful at this point in time because there's always things to improve and there's a lot to be done. But just think of a ratio of positive reinforcement to negative reinforcement, right? Usually it's, you know, five to one negative to positive, right? And not that you need to keep score, but just be mindful that sometimes that's just got to be turned around at a particular life cycle in a company to transform the culture, right? And maybe think three to one positive to negative, you know? the right moment you know i i love that you create ratios like let's try to create a little more balance or harmony between the two so there's not such a vast uh separation between the two i usually tell people the moment you notice a negative thought has popped into your head pause acknowledge that it came and then rewrite that thought to something positive so that awareness piece really allows us to transform and change over time. And if we get too fixated on trying to create, okay, I've had this many negative thoughts, we're still probably thinking the negative more than the positive. So the moment you're aware of a negative thought, a judgment, um, an aggravation, a disappointment, all of those things that can clutter our mind, acknowledge that it's there and then how can you rewrite those words to create a more optimistic future? Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. All right. So how do you get to know your symptoms of stress? You have to pay attention. Wow. Love that. <laughs> you have to be willing um, to pay attention. That's probably the key. And you need to let your ego kind of take the back seat for a little while. So calling yourself out um, and being thoughtful and honest in that process and not judgmental is important. So to identify and observe without judgment, huh, these are the things that I do. These are the things that I say. Well, maybe now I can understand why sometimes this person isn't excited when I enter the room or why this person is always aggravated and frustrated in our communication. It takes time, but to be willing and to develop that awareness will transform you over time. Absolutely. And I know we're going to keep going deeper because how do you kind of surface 
um, those matters within yourself, right? Because that's typically the mirror, the yes. mirror of all this. And, um, you know, in the deeper principles of, you know, yoga and meditation, you, you know, the causes of all this anxiety and and stress that was a cause can be caused by things like, you know, attachment and aversion and anger and fear, right? And we have to understand ourselves as humans as to what are those triggers and why? Yes. And that takes a lot of time in self-discovery and self-work. And obviously with yoga, Pilates, meditation, these are mind-body practices that encourage you to become more aware. And I usually tell people to start with the outward and work their way inward because the physical body is our first place where we can most easily explore and observe without feeling too fearful, just learning what sensations rise up, how things feel in our body. Then as we move inward, the emotional body is probably the most vulnerable piece to work with. And normally it's the emotional body that triggers the physical sensations. So working your way in, but being slow in the process, getting support if you need it, especially if you're someone who's experienced trauma or something difficult in your life, going deeper may mean that you need support, um, especially for that mental health piece so that you don't go too deep too soon and have that be an outcome that you're not quite ready to handle. Awesome. I love that, Roberta. Really well said. I I would also say, Roberta, is, and I, I, I love the way you've brought it in kind of from an internal standpoint to the kind of individual human being, but there's a part of me which says um, we tend to live in, in a society where it's the external factors that the cause. Mm. And we're not yes. looking at ourselves internally, right? I mean, yeah. and it's it, it's what you're saying there, um, but we tend to kind of, you know, think about it's the external factors that are causing this particular reaction or stress levels, et cetera. But I, um, what I've learned over the years, and I'm working on it every single day, it's usually internal, right? You got yes. to go in. One inwards. thing I normally say is, may I be at peace regardless of conditions. Right. Like that's the life work, right? That regardless of the conditions around you, because we know conditions are ever changing. We know conditions are impermanent. We know conditions can shift at any moment, right? And if we live in that space of uncertainty and questioning and worry, that keeps us in a stressful state of being. And then it doesn't take much, right? For that one little domino to set off a full stress response. But if we learn to find that peace within ourselves, if we practice it, when those bigger conditions occur in our lives, we're more well-equipped to handle them. Absolutely. And your point about worry, we all, we all worry. Um, we all conjure up scenarios and we have to ask ourselves, it was in, in, a, in a great book, The Untethered Soul, all this stuff that we worry about, how much actually really comes to fruition? Yeah. Think, think about all the worry and all the, all the scenarios we, we, we have in our heads. But when it really comes to the final analysis, how much of it is true? Yeah. And how much energy does it take away okay. from us? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so how do you keep stress from turning into something dangerous and um, unhealthy? I think you have to learn your rhythms. You have to know yourself. You have to be a little more connected to the fact that it's not external conditions that affect you. That, de that development of self-awareness is probably the biggest piece, but sometimes people don't have the ability to have that awareness because there is a reason chemically in their brain. There is a reason within their own wiring that things just aren't okay. And they know they don't feel okay, but they don't really know how to put words to it or to do that self-discovery to create the awareness around them. So I always encourage people that if something doesn't feel okay about you to reach out and have a conversation with someone, whether it's a trusted friend, a doctor, a mental health professional, they now have these lines that you can call. I'll need to um, have you check the number for me, but I believe it's 811 is the mental health line now that is similar to 911. We need to confirm those numbers before we um, publicize them, but if you can put them in the show notes, that would be great. Yeah. Um, so people can pick up the phone and call somebody and just let them know the things that they're thinking, the things that they're feeling and ask someone for support because not all of us have the capacity or the ability to diagnose or just have the awareness of what's going within ourselves. And we need an outside perspective to help us keep it from becoming a mental health crisis or issue. Absolutely. Uh, and Roberta, uh, speaking your truth is critically important, right? Uh, yes. I completely, completely agree with, you know, seek help, be able to speak to people, you know, therapy where it's appropriate, et cetera, you know, but um, many of us don't face the truth or, or don't speak the truth. That's an important first step. It is. And, you know, when you say speak the truth, somebody may not really know what that means. And what I hear when you say speak the truth is don't be afraid to tell someone when you don't feel okay. Don't be afraid to tell someone if you feel like something is off. Don't be afraid to tell someone if you're having thoughts that don't feel good or yeah. that don't sit right with you. Too often in our society, we paint the picture that everything is okay. And we try to uphold that um, vision and that um, persona, and it becomes exhausting. So if you don't feel okay, speak that truth. If you're feeling hurt by somebody, speak that truth. If you feel like you don't have a voice, find a way to get that out into the world so that you can have a voice and you can have someone help you with it. Absolutely. And equally, um, I would say, Roberta, is we shouldn't try to fix others either. Equally, there's a there's another side to this, right? Yes. Um, and I think we're all so good at recognizing what everybody yeah. else could do yeah. differently to make yeah. us feel better. Um, so this is kind of the other side of it where we can bring some humor Usually, if you're recognizing something in somebody else, it's because you're doing it also. And it's easier to say, well, that person was insensitive, or that person didn't communicate with me the way I wanted, or that person was whatever you want to say. 
sometimes we're doing those same things without being aware of it. Absolutely. So why should one start a self-care practice? Because we're human beings and we need to take care of ourselves. Um, when we don't take care of ourselves, we become sick. Our immune system suffers. We deplete our energy. We deplete our creativity. We deplete our productivity. So where some people have the mindset that if they just keep going and work through um, the exhaustion, that somehow it's going to be better, that's not the case. It's like working through the pain doesn't really help you in the long run. You need to be aware of what the source is, how to make it better, how to nourish it, let it get stronger, and then you have more ability moving forward. Right. And and should we take care of ourselves first? Because here's a leadership discussion, right? Oh, you're a leader. You're supposed to be taking care of everyone else, not taking care of yourself. Where would you say in the continuum we should be taking care of ourselves? If you're not taking care of yourself, how can you take care of others? If you don't know how to take care of yourself, how can you inspire and take care of others? Right. You need to be able to do it for yourself first even if it's just as an experiment, like what would happen if I put some time in for me today? What would happen if I felt better? What would happen if I got more rest? Be curious, be experimental and observe the outcome. Absolutely. Okay, so let, let's, let's dig really deep now into the practices proven to reduce stress levels. Um, what are some of the practices, Roberta? And let, let's go a bit deeper as to how would you take a person coming to you who's kind of suffering from leadership stress or whatever? What are the practices that you would encourage them to employ? And the, and the one, habits. The number one is breathing because our breath is with us everywhere we go at every moment of every day. So learning a few breathing techniques that are effective, that would be number one. Number two, yoga is a wonderful way to move your body and create union between your body your mind and your spirit and the breath is the vehicle that we use so it brings breathing into that movement practice and yoga does not have to be about putting your body into perfect shapes that are picture perfect and beautiful yoga is about moving and feeling good in your body and doing things to help sustain the movement that you need to do each day or to balance out the movement that you're doing each day. Pilates is another mind-body practice that sometimes people don't really consider this as a tool, but a lot of my type A leaders love Pilates because we use the elements of concentration, centering, and control. And then we layer in precision, breathing, and fluid move movement. And if you take those five Pilates principles or six Pilates principles, you can really apply them to everything that you do in life, including your leadership skills. So a lot of my leaders love Pilates for that reason, because it really does reflect and mirror things that they're doing in their life actively. Meditation. This probably is the one that most people shy away from because there are so many myths about meditation. I have a blog on my website that I encourage people to read that kind of uh, debunks some of those myths and makes meditation a little more accessible for the average person. 
meditation is not about getting rid of your thoughts. It's about observing your thoughts and learning how to redirect the brain. So instead of being with thoughts, it can be with the breath or it can be with an object or it can be with a visualization. So learning how to use your mind in a way that improves focus and takes less energy than those cluttered streaming thoughts coming through. So those are probably my top four. That's And I, I tell you, um, luckily I've been practicing most of those and they have been life-changing, Roberta. I hear you exactly. Um, but on the meditation side, um, I have a daily practice, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the morning, and that's been life-changing. And I particularly got the, the ritual during the COVID period. It's become a daily habit of mine. Yeah? And um, I have executive friends who and leaders who they, they know how beneficial meditation is. And yet they'll say, I can't do the one minute. I, you know, I, got, I, I just can't do it, Richard. And I, I explained to him, I said, you know, just start very, very small. You can do a minute or two and graduate to five minutes and, and then keep going from there. What would be your advice, Roberta, about starting a meditation practice for those who, and it's most people I'm sure who said, I just can't do this. Yes. People don't like to sit still, number one, oh. and they're uncomfortable in the stillness. So learning to be with discomfort. So this goes back to our conversation of regardless of conditions. Yes. Be courageous enough to sit in that discomfort because the discomfort is there for a reason, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional. You know, we experience all types of discomfort. But if you have the desire to give it a try, a guided meditation is probably going to be the easiest way to bring yourself into the practice because. You can even lie down and listen to a guided meditation. You don't have to sit if sitting is too uncomfortable. So take away um, the things that you don't have to have as a factor of discomfort. So if sitting is uncomfortable, lie down. If being still is uncomfortable, try walking slowly, just one foot in front of the other as you're listening to a meditation. Um, get out in nature and just sit on a bench somewhere that brings you a feeling of peace and calm and listen. I have some clients who say they just have now started sitting out on their patio to drink their morning coffee and listen to the birds. That could be considered a meditation practice. So be creative. It doesn't have to be stagnant. It doesn't have to look one way, but it is a practice that you want to repeat over and over again. And then when it becomes more comfortable, you need to stretch that limitation and make yourself uncomfortable again. That's how we grow and that's how we get better. And the the, the health benefits, Roberta, just undeniable. I mean, as I said, I've been doing it for now two and a half years consistently. And I can tell you um, in, in high pressure situations, high pressure business, that my personal blood pressure has just gone from, it was never really high, but there, there are times obviously during the course of the, of the year where it gets pretty high but it's consistently extremely low now and i have to put that down to just calming things down and starting this ritual every morning and when i leave my home office at night i've got a 10 second commute to the to the dining room but i know there's a gap in between it where i have some of that space and my family kind of understands that as well yeah and that. 
you're purposely moving away from things that create that fight and flight response, all of the stimulation in our lives to a place of quietude where you can nurture and nourish the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your ability to rest and digest. So that is why there are so many benefits because if we're only focused on one system, the other system becomes so depleted that we can no longer find those moments of rest, those moments of digestion, those moments of quietude. And, and, and the clarity of thought as well, mm-hmm. you know, that brings in all situations, you, you know, normal, you know, daily life as well as in business. It's amazing how just that clarity of thought, the ability to see things as they are, you know, improve your patience, um, kind of understanding which way you should, you know, do things and make decisions is is undeniable when it comes to how med- meditation can help you. Know? Yes, because when our brains are cluttered with so many thoughts, clarity isn't possible. It's not available. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 further to your point about effective, you know, just breathing, and that's a you know um, a way to reduce stress as well. I've often said to colleagues that, you know, we tend to focus on eating well and exercising, but your breathing is your life force. It is. And when the mind is intimately connected to the breath, thoughts subside. So it slows down those rolls of thoughts that are just streaming, streaming, streaming. It's impossible for you to be 100% connected to the breath and in the thinking mind at the same time. Absolutely. And, and even at a cellular level, R- Roberta, when, you, when you're going through stress levels, you may not even know it during the course of the day, you tend to hyperventilate and, and you know, your breathing is more shallow. So the simple science there is how can you be oxygenating your cells? And I have to believe that's a cause of stress leading to disease and so forth, right? So just proper breathing helps your physiology mentally as well as your, your body physiology as well. Yes. So breath and movement hydrate the tissues of your body. Right. Absolutely. And and what about journaling and, um, you know, choosing your thoughts in the morning? There are morning rituals where people will promote and say, you know, that's just a wonderful way. It's, 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 you know, you'll write down a journal and I'm sure of gratitude, but also being very intentional about choosing your thoughts, particularly in the morning. I love morning rituals. For me, I wake up and I start with gratitude and that's my gratitude journal that I use in the mornings. And even on the mornings where it seems hard to find 10 things, cause I list 10 things, I go down to the very basic, like I'm so grateful by the way the light is shining in the window in this moment. Um, there's always something that you can find and I've noticed through practice that when you find one thing, it's like a little faucet. It starts to drip a little more and a little more. And then all of a sudden you realize how many things there are to be grateful for. Journaling practice is very unique to each individual. Some people love to have a journaling prompt that might motivate them to begin the day. Others like to just freehand that whole stream of thoughts that's cluttered in their mind to get things out and to make some sense of them. Some people like to have a specific practice like gratitude or um, 
celebrations is one of the things that I've taught people to do. So one thing that some people, I, con I continuously hear this from a few clients is that they feel like their journal becomes a place to complain. And this is where what you mentioned about creating positive thoughts can be helpful. So I always say, get things down on paper, and then you can really see what kinds of thoughts are coming into your mind. And then you can take a moment to recreate those. Until we're aware that those thoughts are there, there's really no way to recreate them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. Okay. Um, how does peaceful living intersect with managing stress in your life? Hmm. Because it's a lifestyle. It's a practice. It's something that no one is going to be perfect at. It's not a destination that you're going to arrive to. When you become intentional about planting these peaceful moments throughout your day on purpose, your stress levels won't be a problem anymore because you'll be living your life with intention. You'll be living your life with awareness. You won't be letting life run the show. Got it. Got it. Okay. And, and, and Roberta, just a, a personal story and to the extent you're comfortable sharing, um, you've had personal experience about an anxiety attack. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, so we can help everyone around us who may be suffering from that. How do you identify the symptoms of an anxiety attack? You know, in that moment when it hits your body, it's like a five alarm fire. Um, your heart rate is pounding. You might have sweaty hands. You might be sweating under your arms. You might become agitated, frustrated, angry. Um, it really just takes over your entire system. So the best way to identify it is that you feel like you no longer have control over what's happening to your body. You're aware that you feel all of these things, but you don't feel like you have the power to change it. Got it. Okay. And how, how do you help a person suffering from an anxiety attack? If you're with someone and you notice a quick shift in their behavior and it just doesn't seem like they're their normal self that you have come to know, ask them, are you feeling okay? Do you think you could be having an anxiety attack? Because oftentimes a person knows they're not okay and something is wrong. And when you name it, it's then the um, it becomes more possible for that person to kind of get out of their experience, hear the question, give you an answer. So you're interrupting the cycle by asking that question and then try not to speak too much or to push too much because that person really isn't in control of what's happening to them in that moment. So maybe, is there anything that would help right now? Would you like a glass of water? Would you like to go outside? So changing the scenery for the person that's experiencing an anxiety attack can sometimes help their system regulate and come back to a place of awareness where then they can talk to you about what's going on. Thank you for that, Roberta. Very, very important that we um, look, look for those signs in whatever situation we are in our lives, you know, including, including the workplace. All right. Um, next two segments. What would you change in any area of life, not just business? 
For me personally, yes. Yes. I I think I would change the fact that I I am constantly looking at what other people say about my work to see that there's value in my work. So I would change relying on others to give me value and credibility and start investing more into knowing the credibility and value of myself and my work. Awesome. Okay. All right. What are you grateful for, Roberta, in any area of life, not just business? I'm grateful for all of it. Gosh, every morning I, I wake up in gratitude. I'm grateful for my family, my children, the work that I get to do every day, the people I get to meet and have conversations with. Um, I have all of the things I need in my life, most of the things that I want. I'm grateful that I get to travel, that I get to use my voice in a positive way that inspires and encourages people to show up as the best version of themselves. I, I could speak to that for a very long time. How beautiful is that? And you've got a lovely smile. I can tell you're very, very passionate about that, Roberta. That's Thank beautiful. You. That's beautiful. All right. So the quick round. Um, what is your wisdom advice about leaders practicing discipline, gratitude, and being authentic? Keep practicing, stop judging, and take it one step at a time. Awesome. Okay. All right. When life feels too busy, what are the five ways to declutter your thoughts? Breathe, do some yoga, do some Pilates, take some time for meditation, get out in nature, journal, the list can go on. So I know there's more than five. Okay. All right. Okay. And what do you mean by peaceful living? I mean, what would it be like to have a life full of peace? And if that's not a destination, what can you do each and every day to plant a seed, to have a full life, a prosperous life, and a peaceful life? Okay. All right. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Okay. If money were no object, what would you do to solve the mental health epidemic globally? Mm. I would do something to bring us together in community because I think the mental health epidemic comes from a place of isolation. It comes from a place of separation. So I would keep encouraging and creating ways for us to gather together, to share conversations, to learn that we're all similar, more similar than we are different. And we're all in this human experience together. And there's no reason to isolate yourself or anyone else. Awesome. Okay. All right. Uh, you talked about Zen breaks. So tell us how can a five minute Zen break rid you of anxious thoughts? And what do you do? What's a Zen break? So a Zen break <laughs> is anywhere from a two to five minute guided meditation. And you get to listen to my voice. Okay. And I have been told many times that my voice helps people feel better. <laughs> I and agree. It helps them feel yeah. calm and it helps them feel relaxed. So all you have to do is listen and do the little bit of um, technique. Sometimes it's a breathing technique. Sometimes it's a visualization, but it will transform how you feel. 
Awesome. Okay, I've got a couple of quotes. Um, and one um, was something you said in one of your podcasts, and I don't remember the exact wording, but it was really around resistance. And it was around riding the waves rather than going against the waves. Now, you, you'll correct me, and I'm sure you'll get it right. But I thought that was just such a fabulous way to put it. I want yeah. my, um, I want our listeners to to hear what you have to say about it, because I thought it was a, just a beautiful way to say it. So I think what I said is we need to be the waves, because when we're not, we're rigid. And when we become rigid, we resist the flow of life. And as we mentioned earlier, things are impermanent. So if we can be the waves and flow with life and flow with the things that come our way, we aren't going to feel stressed. We aren't going to feel anxious and we'll feel more capable in handling the things that approach us. That is one. And, and you also, yeah, I think you said even further that to remember they're parts of the waves, the ocean, the river um, that are calm yeah, and are still. Yes, there is stillness in the movement and there's stillness in the storm and we can be in those spaces. Right, absolutely. And, you know, the ocean is made of many drops, right? Part of a part of a larger consciousness. Yes, a community of droplets. <laughs> That's the ocean. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Um, and this one came from Albert Einstein. It's only two ways to live your life. Nothing is a miracle. Everything is a miracle. Yeah, that I'm more in the second part of that. Um, yeah. I believe that us even being on this planet is a miracle. And when we look from a place of lack, when we have a lack mindset, nothing is a miracle. So we're ignorant everything is in our blind spot and this is where the gratitude practice comes in right when we have those tough moments that put us in a negative place of thinking all we can see is what's not happening what's not going well what's terrible what's terrible inside of us and outside of us and that's all we can see when we look on the miracle side and look for the miracle in the moment, even if it's just this breath. That alone is a miracle. Understood. Okay, we're going to wrap around with a couple of points, and, uh, and one of them is is the is the last point. But before that, from a practical standpoint, uh, Roberta, just to um, re repeat um, your advice on this one, what are the simple habits to practice self care daily, and this is for people in kind of, you know, the work situation, leadership positions, moms, everybody. Repeat it again and, and just give those really practically that people can kind of get up in the morning tomorrow and, and, and practice it. Okay. So upon waking, do something with gratitude, whether it's mentally or in a journal. And then take some nice deep breaths. Begin your day with breathing and plant that into your day. Take some time away from the screen, sometime throughout the day. And I would say those are the top three. If you can do mindful movement like yoga and meditation, even better, but not everybody is ready for those yet, but we can all wake up in gratitude. 
we can all write something down on a piece of paper and we can all take a breath. Absolutely. Beautifully said, Roberta. I am, as, um, as someone who's, again, been many years in, in the business world, um, I've started to practice one other thing, one add to that, which is at some point in the night, reflect on your day. And how could you have done better? Not from a business standpoint and, you know, the next transaction, but um, your self-awareness, right? Your impact on people, your impact on a situation. Um, I always try to reflect back and said, okay, maybe I could have handled that one better or I did a wonderful job doing this and so on. So I would definitely encourage leaders to at night or whenever is appropriate is to reflect on the day, you know? Self-reflection is a great practice. And I, I think when you can be objective about that, which, it's, which it sounds like you are, um, like how, how can we show up as a better version of ourselves? And mm -hmm. did we bring the best version of ourselves to the things that we did that day? And if not, what's our intention for the day to come? Wonderful. And my last question now, what is your one parting advice to aspiring leaders about managing stress and anxiety. Learn the tools that will work for you. Yeah. Practice when conditions are low and risk is low. And forgive yourself. Be compassionate when you make mistakes. Awesome. awesome. Roberta, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, just what a lovely spirit you have. Um, oh. I know you're doing your bit for elevating humanity and prioritizing humanity um just beautiful you have a calm and gracious way about you and i've really enjoyed this and i know our our listening audience is is going to have a lot to take away and employ on, on their daily practice it's just wonderful about self-care so thank yes. you for that thank you and thank you for bringing light bringing light to this topic because it's not something that's commonly talked about in leadership and the more conversations and the more light we can shed on self-care and making it part of business. Just think of all of the wonderful things that will occur because of that. Right. And, and our influence on humanity for sure. Yes. yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Roberta. Absolutely. Thank pleasure. you, Richard. Take it was, yourself and all the best to your family. Here. Thank you as well. All the best. Bye-bye. So my key takeaways from this conversation with Roberta Hughes were how to lead better under stress. And those were know your limitations, accept and own your limitations. Identify the things that trigger your stress and set boundaries to limit your exposure to stress triggers. And some of the practices proven to reduce stress levels, yoga, meditation, more sleep, walks in nature, breathing exercises and journaling. And lastly, Roberta did offer the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, which is number 988. Thank you very much. Until next time. I hope that you found today's session valuable. If so, please follow me on Instagram at outram.richard and post your comments. Thank you again. Until the next podcast.